Hi, and welcome to The Amber Show. I'm Amber Urquhart of the Willow Community, and every two weeks we talk about the latest in tech and crypto. Today, live from Taipei, we're sitting down with Jack Fu, Steve Chen, and my co-host Chrissy. Let's go. Great. My name is Steve. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Hi, my name is Steve Chen, uh, one of the co-founders of YouTube. Uh, here back in Taiwan as of two years ago, originally born here. Spent about uh, 35 years there in um, the U.S., about 20 years there in Silicon Valley. And then uh, really, I think after having done startups, investments, venture capital, um, a lot of fundraising, advising in Silicon Valley, now coming back to exploring the next segment of my life here in Taiwan. That's great. We really welcome you and happy that, you know, your next 25 years are going to be here in Taiwan, if, if not more. And then what about you, Jack? Hi, my name is Jack Thu. I'm the, one of the co-founders of Draco Capital. I've moved back to Taiwan ever since 2010. And um, been, we, we recently started a business with Steve Chen last year. And it's a, a hedge fund business. And we're pretty excited to use AI to do investments for our own investments. That, that sounds like some very um, serious stuff that you guys have going on. Very cool. And um, I think there's a lot of firsts here that we should get out of the way. So this is our first recording of our first podcast of the first Amber Show with um, Steve's first podcast or first Taiwan podcast. No, podcast. Oh, wow. Period. <laughs> Steve's usually like, you know, um, in front of the camera. So now he's a podcast personality. I think, Jack, your first podcast. Oh, yeah. Yes. And also, my too. Okay. And it's also, Steve is the first person to get the first Taiwan gold card. Yeah, that was um, uh, received two years ago. Gold card program was launched three years ago because uh, I know because we just renewed it last week and uh, it's a three year program. Uh, it was started before all of COVID, which is when everybody started using and adopting the gold card and actually uh, applying for it. Uh, that they never expected the numbers that they're seeing now. Uh, but at the time, it was to try to see how to incentivize people, to, especially Taiwanese-Americans that have accomplished something overseas, whether that's in the U.S., but that's also in Hong Kong, Singapore, or a lot of places where Taiwanese have done something and they're looking at ways of, especially as here, you know, their, their grandparents, their parents, their family members are still here in Taiwan. They're trying to come back, but they're trying to incentivize them. And so things like... Um, residency, things like uh, health insurance. And they came up with this program that was launched three years ago that was exactly for this purpose. And, um, and they needed somebody that was living outside of Taiwan that was born in Taiwan to want to come back and, uh, and accept this gold card. So it was three years ago when I came back originally to uh, visit Taiwan just to, it was just a photo shoot and a few interviews just to receive the gold card. I never thought back in 2018 when I got this thing that I was going to ever use it. It was more of a here, give back to Taiwan. They're inviting me back and this is something for the country. But fast forward by just less than a year, this was in 2019, um, packed up our bags from Silicon Valley after 20 years there, brought two kids, wife, just all moved to, um, and this is before COVID started. This is just trying to get out of Silicon Valley and really using this card. Uh, and since then, over a thousand, over 2000 of them have been printed and more. You were a trendsetter. Were you also advised you th on like things that you would need to make this move happen or did that, um, were you a part of the advisory for this card or are you just sort of the, the first test monkey? Um, 
I think a, a combination of both. Yeah, like uh, before the gold card was created, uh, really it was a program that I had only learned about the history of. It was something that's um, working with the multiple ministries to, because uh, when you apply for the gold card, you also, you one of the first questions you have to answer is, what is your background? Uh, is it entrepreneurship? Is it technology? Is it economy? Um, uh, what profession are you coming from? And depending on how you answer that question, it goes into the various ministries within the Taiwanese government. And so uh, it, depending on how you answer that question, different qualifications apply, different criteria apply. And when I received it, I was obviously on the technology side uh, and I was the first one to, to receive it. They told me about this uh, card after all those decisions were made, but it was after coming in with that card was when I was more engaged with the actual government, with the ministries, because it was a, yeah, it's like a, a little bit of a test rabbit, right? To be able to actually have to um, the, get given back the answers as to, you know, it's hard to move to Taiwan. There's a lot of things that you, that's aside from just the card, aside from getting through immigration in the airport, there's a heck of a lot more that you need to do to really move to, to abandon everything that you have to uh, on the other side of the Pacific and then to restart everything that you have. And how do you like the life in Taiwan so far? Um, the weather and the food is so different because I'm from LA and like the weather is so different from there. So I know like you, you just got here and you cannot get used to the lifestyle and also the food around here. So how do you adapt well? I mean, like it's hard to. I think, if, especially if you've grown up in the U.S., yes, to try to make that move. Um, I'll say at the high level, like there's no way the first week of anybody moving here from if they've lived their lives in the U.S. moving to Taiwan, is it any easier? Mm -hmm. uh, I but I would say you fast forward that by three four weeks after you've learned how to. And to kind of replace what you're used to with the solutions here, then things become, I think, better, uh, easier, uh, a lot faster, a lot more efficient. Uh, but yeah, like the first week we were here, there was a, there was an, there was an earthquake that uh, the weather was over a hundred degrees. <laughs> like our, there was leaking gas out of uh -huh. the stove oh, wow. top. Um, like we weren't getting hot water out of our showers. And like, you know, and you don't have a bank account set up in oh, order to set up. Handyman. All these things you need to actually like to try to set up to get a uh, to get a cell phone service. You need to get mm -hmm. a bank account to get a bank account. You need, I mean, credit card. And you need to be able to speak and read and write and sign your name in Chinese. Oh, so your Chinese I'm just wondering because I have I'm on I'm here with this strange um, half breeder passport where I have a passport but I don't have like the studio. I don't have like residency. So with the gold card, is it easy to set up like a bank account and a business? Because for foreigners, it's very, that's one of the most difficulties setting up their business. if They want to start something here. So is that like something that they put in place where foreigners with the gold card, it's easy to do that and hire people? Um, again, I think two answers to that. I think like it is easier, but relative to just about any country uh, in Asia that we were looking at also potentially moving to, it is still much harder. Um, like, like if you want to set up a local business here in Taiwan, it's just difficult to set it up completely locally without establishing something in the, uh, 
uh, bridge to the U.S. in some way, especially if the end goal for these companies, if the end goal for the business is to target a global audience. It's hard to do it if everything is in Taiwan for, for legal reasons, for IP reasons, mm -hmm. for just uh, fundraising reasons. Um, you're not getting a lot of investors that are writing checks to companies that are established in Taiwan. So I have, uh, I know a lot of people from, from the Bay Area that are here kind of hiding out, but I think um, you and Jack have both been sort of um, key key figures or, or role models for like the, the Taiwan people who want to get interested in startups and finance. Um, what are some, you know, infos or tips to, to these sort of next generation um, Taiwanese? How can we build, how can we build these or help these um, Taiwanese startups? Jack, or well, pretty much for um, people starting businesses in Taiwan, um, Steve and I, we've been talking about um, pretty much to focus their market outside of Taiwan, not just Taiwan, yeah. because a lot of these um, startups, um, you know, primarily, they, they try to focus too much on the Taiwan market, which is not a big market. So for those um, successful businesses we've seen, you know, mo most of these um, businesses focus outside of Taiwan, whether it be just mainly in U.S. or uh, Japan, Singapore, or like, you know, other markets besides Taiwan. So I think the first thing, you know, to, it's just the market, you know, we're, we're trying to reach. And once, once you establish, you know, where you're going and then, um, perhaps set up an office, maybe, maybe in the U S and SF and Silicon Valley, you know, so I, I think, uh, market first and then everything else, you know, kind of goes around that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, even like uh, you look at the success uh, that Taiwan's had in the last few decades in the OEM market and the semiconductor markets, and it's done well. And it's the main reason for that is that, uh, look, the same semiconductors are going to work, the same transistors are going to work, whether it's inside Taiwan or outside of Taiwan. But once you start getting into more closer proximity to the end consumer, to the end user, then you're going to have to start understanding what the you know, the behavioral patterns of your target audience is in order to be successful in those markets. Uh, and so I think that uh, one of the, the, after coming back, I think one of the challenges that you see many Taiwanese American entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley being able to overcome, yet for some reason that uh, the local Taiwanese entrepreneurs here in Taiwan have difficulty in expanding to the global markets is to be able to understand what that target consumer, what that behavior is like. It's going to be difficult to be able to solve a problem for somebody when you don't know really what that lifestyle, what those problems are. And so I think that uh, one of the great things about this period right now is that you have all these people that are coming back with COVID and many of them, it's not the actual individual contributor levels that are coming back. These are the entrepreneurs, these are the past successes. These are the people that have successfully sold, raised capital, and they've already done something. Many of them are actually still operating full companies. They're just boarding planes and then they're establishing headquarters here in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think one of the good things that I've noticed because, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in San Francisco and I just, I just love the mentality there where you run into someone on the street, like a friend of mine was like, oh, that Kevin Lin guy who's in Taiwan, he invested in my company just because I gave him a free cigarette. And, you know, they're so reachable and they're really like offering their time and, you know, their skill set. I think that that's what Taiwan needs and that's what is going to really change, change like how um, the, you know, the whole idea of, of being a mentor and being someone to look after. Do you feel like, do you feel the same that they're, they're being really open with their time and with their skill set? 
you also see this? Uh, well, I certainly see that um, the there's a huge abundance of Taiwanese Americans that are coming back with, I'm going to say, um, uh, partially that driver, that motivator for them to be here in Taiwan is that Taiwanese part of them, that they do want to help out. Uh, and they're bringing that, that um, whatever knowledge, whatever connections, the the connections with VCs and all these things that are key to, I think, success in Silicon Valley, that, to be brutally honest, that just Taiwan doesn't have any of that uh, prior to, say, 2019. It's just, you know, the, the connections to the general partners in the top VCs on Sand Hill Road, it's hard to find people in Taiwan with those connections. But now you all of a sudden you have people that are working with these people all the time, all here, all very accessible. And so I think um, uh, I think we're going to see uh, what's going to be happening, but I think it's a pretty exciting period this year as we start seeing more and more of these people establishing themselves and feeling at home here in Taiwan. So, yeah, let's talk more on, like, the big trending word of, of last year, the whole COVID situation. Like, a friend of mine, you know, yesterday, she was like, I'm flying to SF to get my vaccines. Do you feel that um, Taiwan is still going to be a leader after people are able to move back or other or jobs are calling them back to the Bay Area? Do you feel people leaving? Do you people feel people staying? Um, is this just a temporary thing? What are your, your ideas, both of you? Well, I mean, I think, sadly, I think there's not a lot of incentive for these people to stay in Taiwan outside of the safety, the umbrella from COVID, right? I think uh, the majority of the people that I know that have packed up everything that they've, for the last couple of decades, have built in Silicon Valley that are built in the U.S. and just packing it up and, and coming to Taiwan in, in two, three weeks, packing very little bags, it's because of COVID. And, uh, and I think once... Once it's you feel completely safe to go back, um, you know, like these, they're still going to virtual schools. They're still working from remote in these offices. They're not really settling down in Taiwan yet. Um, but at the same time, I do hope, I do wish, and I think there's an opportunity here where if what we as, you know, as a country um, uh, can provide to these people as they're here, to make them feel more at home, to feel more gravitated and actually planting their seeds here. Um, there are things that just like it takes more than a few weeks to really get established here. But if you really get established, if you really start going to schools and if you really get used to the lifestyle here, maybe there is an opportunity. Not everybody, but a percentage of the people I think will actually stay. I think, Jack, since you've been here, you know, quite a while and, and you have your family and things here, like, I think this this is basically saying the next step of creating like a mature ecosystem. What else do you think is needed to for these people to adopt and to to really like choose Taiwan in the long run for the next twenty five plus years? Well, I think um, we were just talking about this during lunch, Ian and Steve. Um, I think the window I, we do feel that the window is closing soon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as as um, COVID cases go down, you know, around the world. People are, will, will start you know, moving back to the U.S., moving back to where they came from. So we have to um, you know, build the incentives of, for, for them to stay in Taiwan, you know, whether it be um, having a satellite office in Taiwan mm -hmm. or creating, creating more opportunities for Taiwan and to, to create an environment for them to um, you know, start their business e easily because it's, you know, from my experience with Steve's experience, I, I came back over 10 years ago and it, for, you know, it's pretty much the same today. It's, it's really difficult to open bank accounts, you know, even brokerage accounts. 
to be to be, um it's especially when you don't read or write Chinese and then having to go to the bank and write your Chinese name, which you know I had to pretty much practice to open the account. And a lot of these um pretty much these regulations to just uh open any accounts, you know, whether it be um, to have a cell phone, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. yeah. So, so, you know, little things, you know, little well, whereas things. in like Silicon Valley, like, yeah, if you want to, uh, like, I mean, even in our case, but this happens all the time there, like acquisitions, um, investments, like new fundraising rounds, right? I mean, like the, the entire acquisition of, of YouTube was in 72 hours. It was in, it was talking with Yahoo. It was talking with Google multiple times, you know, and it was just, it just going down the street, going to the same restaurant three times to actually talk to uh, these companies. And then to do all the actual paperwork and to be able to make that announcement on a Monday after a weekend of work, like you can't do that from Taiwan, uh, no matter how successful that company is to be able to try to actually do and try to sell the company, try to, um, you know, for fundraising, it's there's a whole sandhill road where you just keep driving down this road and every every block you're going down you're seeing another top vc in the world and and so you know in one afternoon you can actually make a lot of you can you can present that deck multiple times whereas here if you wanted to do something you're going to have to fly over there you're going to have to fly to singapore you're going to have to fly um to silicon valley to do it do you feel any like you know we're very it's always SF, Silicon Valley, Taipei. What about like the rest of Southeast Asia? Can Taiwan be used as like next Singapore to be like a hub to also kind of try to connect through partnerships or through investment through other Southeast Asia hubs? Have you re- researched or thought anything on that? Um, well, my I, again, like uh, like I've only lived here and still measured in months, like eighteen months or so. I, I mean, so my but my my read is that um, of all the all the countries here, if I were just trying to evaluate where it is best to create a company, where it is best where you're going to get the most amount of support from the government for the company, uh, for the most amount of support from the government when it comes to moving your family to like resituating, like Singapore is far better than any of the other countries that we've looked at in, in Asia. And to like definitely put Taiwan on that map if you're actually comparing the two. I think that's good. I think like right now, because of, you know, we're, we've mentioned all these situations right now, we need sort of service providers, sort of people that can help with the language. Also with a lot of these paperwork, there's a lot of, you know, traditions that aren't really that open to, to international people with like, you know, the stamping and all of these things. I think these are things that are going to come, which is the next step. Uh, on a different note, I'm wondering, because I was in a lockdown in Paris for about four months, like in a complete not leaving my apartment. And I'm still talking to people a year later that have never left their house. So I think like mental health is such a huge issue. And I think you, well, all of us or all of you have an experience that, and a lot of people you see, you know, at all the nightclubs, all these people from <laughs> SF that I feel have been let out of a, of a bubble or of a thing. So I don't know what's going to happen. Do you feel like what is Taiwan going to be known as a safe kind of bubble or what are people going to take from that from Taiwan or how, what, how do you relate to those people? Um, well, my, sorry, like, yeah, I think we're only at the, in terms of the overall impact of COVID, we're at the beginning of it. Right. I mean, I think on the mental side of things, um, we're just starting to see that. And, but you, you start seeing that on, uh, you know, Facebook groups, you see that on, um, a lot of these, 
uh, real time chats where people are talking about like that, you know, they're losing their jobs, their, their, their kids are, you know, they think you can only spend so many months day after day after day where uh, you're 24 seven at home with your, your family. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think uh, uh, even when the vaccines are, are out there, you know, even when all that is through, we're going to start seeing the next phase of what COVID is, is doing. Interesting. Um, let's go back to um, Draco, Jack. So um, how do you see AI like disrupting other industries and how can like AI and investing, can you say something about towards how retail people can, can get involved or be more um, advanced or educated in this area? Well, I think um, using AI to do investments will be the future trend. And we we're seeing um, companies providing platforms for investors to sub subscribe, to use their uh, more basic models of AI to help them um, decide on their, you know, which investment to invest in. And I, I think AI will be a big part of investment, but the human factor, you know, it's, it's how to, for the human to uh, know when to use the AI, that's that's the most important. So if you have to, you know, I, I think that the AI will never um, 100% replace the human. It's I think the best combination is like the the human, you know, plus AI. That's always going to be more powerful. I think that the next step in AI is sort of like not knowing that you're you're being affected by AI or even blockchain technology. So Steve, I'm wondering if like what what should we look forward to? Like you know some kind of funny story where you see AI working in the future that we're not even going to realize, like from brushing your teeth or checking your, the weather or like the temperature of a room. What are your thoughts there? Um, well, I mean, I think when it comes to uh, AI, the, the, it, it, what's happened since about 2012, 2013 has been astronomical progress versus what we thought was possible. I mean, during the, 70s and 80s, we thought that AI was moving in leaps and bounds and that it hit a, uh, like when I was going to school, there was no way that uh, we would, we were seeing the actual, the way that you were actually writing the AI to program and build in uh, the Go computer, AI-based Go player, um, a chess player. Uh, there was no way that it was doing the natural language. Uh, there was no way that it was doing the actual machine learning that everything out there is doing now. And I think uh, it was finally a time where software was actually catching up with the hardware progress that we're making. With everything with the cloud computing, all of a sudden you actually have the the cloud AI based background to be able to integrate all that together. And we're I think you know we saw like a like a revolution of like um, AI starting from about 2012 2013, and it's just continuing on. And uh, everything the the devices that you're buying now with $50, $100, you're plugging that stuff into your house and it's it's plugged into the amount of data centers that that thing is plugged into is more than anything you could have had 15 years ago. Cool. Um, so we're all, we're excited about a lot of your other uh, projects, Steve, especially uh, me and my group friends in like better protocol projects like this. But I'm just wondering, like, how do you choose projects that you want to get involved with. And then the second to that is for all of these up and emerging 
entrepreneurs, startups, how can they, what are you, what, what topics are you excited to, to be involved with and how can they reach out to you? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, like, I think fundamentally coming from, uh, the Silicon Valley, but specifically moving out to Silicon Valley in 99, uh, the company that I joined out there at the time was PayPal. And, uh, and I was there you know, through the dot-com crash, through the acquisition, through all of the sort of battle that it had with eBay at the time. And I left, uh, PayPal in 2005 to start YouTube. But I think, uh, What's interesting um, through the, that PayPal period is the number of people that also were working at PayPal. Uh, Elon Musk was there, Peter Thiel was there, David Sachs was there, Jeremy Stoppelman, guys behind LinkedIn, um, and uh, and all the, the the other co-founders of YouTube. I met the first day that I was there, um, and I think it's interesting to see that uh, the it's. Many of these people, when they've gone to create other funds, other startups, it wasn't necessarily that they had the right idea on day one when they created their new startup. But I think it's part of the the having that experience, having that history to be able to wade through, you know, how do you make the right decisions about the changes that you're going to make? When do you listen to the end user? When do you not listen to the end user? I think these are the things where uh, I think... Uh, I prioritize in when I'm investing is investing in people that individuals and specifically the experience that they've had in the past in this entrepreneur role, rather than, you know, I, I looking through the deck in terms of the specific idea during that seed round and, and series A round, which is normally the round that I participate in as an angel investor, it's looking at the people and that's what matters more than the idea. Interesting. Um, and what about with um, your work with with Jack? What's like? Um, what's the next thing that you guys are going to to work together on? Whether it be business wise or casual, or what? What is your um, what's your kind of friendship about next steps, Jack? Well, besides business, we do golf. <laughs> we do a lot of other casual, um, more relaxing activities. <laughs> we, we, we met through golf. Yeah. Oh, you guys met through golf? In, oh, yeah. in Taiwan or in In Taiwan. In Taiwan. In Taiwan. Oh, since you guys in Taiwan. Okay. We should speak Mandarin. But hold on, hold on. I think I asked you before you didn't answer. So what was what's the that? handicap? <laughs> Steve was like, what's what's the handicap? <laughs> <laughs> Steve's a really good golfer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Steve can speak Chinese? Because there are many Taiwan Okay, Half of the sentence in English, the whole Chita de Hui, like Yong Zongwen, tree like tree ended. I think we should coin this a term like ABC Taiwanese and add some Taiyu in it. Yeah, because you have to master the language to switch it around. Right? Do people get confused? I, I think I, I get I confuse people sometimes, like which. Some words come to me in English first, and some in Chinese. Is that how it works? That's how you're. I, most of my uh, uh, most of my interviews they do start in Chinese, but once it starts getting into English, it's hard to go back. <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to like switch the Mandarin mode right now. 
Um, and it, it, I think especially when you start getting into, uh, you know, when you start getting into more of the legal and technical, and when you start answering those kind of questions, it's a, uh, uh, it's a lot harder to be able to kind of flip back and forth between the two. Yeah, my friend was like, "Ever, if you're talking about anything serious in Chinese, we just won't take you seriously. I'm sorry." Me, the Chinese is too bad. But I think Steve's Chinese is pretty good. Has advanced a year. A year. Your your child has studied in school. Yeah, they went to China. What's that? TAS, right? Uh, yeah. uh, the the time marker school. So, I mean, I think in that uh, TAS, a few years ago, they were. They couldn't speak. Yeah, they they weren't allowed to speak yeah. Chinese, yeah. right? Mhm. Now, 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 there's a Chinese class. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they will speak Chinese. Yeah. Do you think when you speak or learning uh, Mandarin is very hard for you? I know writing is hard for a lot of people. Well, I mean, I think uh, you know, I I moved to the U.S. when I was eight years old, mm-hmm. entering third grade. And uh, 当然现在听的，我在讲英文的话，英文是比我中文好嘛。但是英文是 actually 我的 second language。但是中文其实我觉得讲的蛮好的，讲的，我觉得讲的很好。嗯。Well, I was just getting like、uh, eight years old. That's the last. That's the latest that you can actually really. That's pushing the limits on the latest that you can move and still be able to grasp the language、uh-huh. as if it were your. Dominant original language, and so when my、uh, my older one, he moved back when he was nine years old. Okay.、Uh, and he's you know, it's、uh, TAS isn't enough. We may have they they need more than just fifty minutes four days a week to be okay, able to learn that language. So I feel like、um, when you were in in Silicon Valley, you were sort of like you know sort of founder, you were Steve Chen YouTube or Steve Chen advisor, and now you're like Taiwan Steve. Chen, celebrity poster child of like,、mm. you know, the future of Taiwan. What are what are cultural differences, or what are your thoughts on that? How does it? Yeah, you can say Taiwan. You 觉得有什么感觉？有什么 feel? I mean, in Silicon Valley, like our neighbors, you know, it's like they're everybody is in tech. Everybody like our neighbors. The on one side was the founder. CEO, XCO of Logitech.、Uh, on the other side was the Stanford doctor that invented the birth control pill. Wow! <laughs> like you know, like now you have like a、uh, Omi Karsani. Like again, like the the board member、uh, of of Twitter. Like just on the other side, you know, like. It's that's what Silicon Valley is like, and、yeah. so、uh, it's. I mean, the difference between that versus Taiwan is that I don't have the the guy that started the birth control pill. Steve is a superstar in Taiwan. Do you、yeah. have? Do you have you lost some some freedoms that typically go align align with that? Like, do you feel pressure, Jack? Or well, you know, we will go vacation together. So, like, no matter where, you know, we go like with with the families and the kids. 对，所以 you be like like really random place， 就是那种没有人的地方。All of a sudden， 会有一个 family 突然 recognize Steve， and then 要过来跟他拍照，要 Steve 抱着他的小孩。Oh my god！ 所以你可以摸一下我的小孩。Signing autographs. Can I have your autograph too? <laughs> yeah, do you want Chinese? 
<笑>然后每次 I think it was like Kanting. Was it Kanting? Uh, I think you should, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, 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 two, three, like, you know, then he's like, kind, he's like, kind, like, doing the Google thing, right? Now, I actually walked over. I was like, yeah, well, I'll take yeah, they got so scared. They got so scared. I was like, like, hey, excuse me. That's what's wild. I was like, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, uh, I think fundamentally the reason for coming to Taiwan, well, I, I would juggle it. I mean, partially it's to, uh, I thought it was important for Asian American kids to actually have spent some quality time living in Asia. Uh, I mean, you see all the problems that you, you have in, in the U.S. for Asian Americans right now. And I think um, it's good just for their upbringing, what the, whatever their lifestyle is, to be able to know what it's like to actually be here. But, I mean, part of it also is the reason why we chose uh, Taiwan. There are a lot of other countries uh, in Asia to go to. It's because I was I was born here. And I mm-hmm. think one of those things is you scratch your head with all the years that you come back every year and you see, like, there's a lot of successful Taiwanese Americans. It's more than just a, a trans-Pacific flight that makes you successful. Like, what is the difference? When between? Was this always a thought that you had or just recently... Um, in your, you know, in your career, like when you were young, did you always want to explore your heritage to your, to your family? Is it because your family lived here now? Or is it when you became like, you know, when you made your mark in your, in your, in your industry, in your career, that like you wanted to come back? Like, when did you have mm. this? No, I think like, uh, it wasn't, I mean, certainly like, um, uh, during the, the, the days of, uh, PayPal or YouTube, like, um, this wasn't anything that was swimming in my uh, this was more about, I think, after 20 years there in the Bay Area and having kind of had an opportunity to juggle just about everything once. And certainly, like, it doesn't mean that, uh, like, there's no opportunity to start another company or make another investment or whatever it is in Silicon Valley now. I think just this is more personal decision to say, like, like um, having a choice, say, between creating another company uh, that is successful uh, one probably is not going to be anywhere near as, as big and as expansive as what YouTube is. But two, like compared to having the opportunity to potentially help out Taiwan in, yeah. in whatever way, I don't know how uh, still, but um, if you can actually uh, create some of the, the, the potential entrepreneurs here from actually making them from potential and realizing their potential, like that's, I think that's a, uh, 
that's something that you just can't do no matter how many more years I stay in Silicon Valley. So let's just say, like, per se, you were starting a company here. <laughs> would you hire a local, local team? Would you bring on or would you, like, encourage other people to come back and join your team? Or how would you, how would you with your own start, how would you form that? Um, uh, having more hands-on experience, I do think that uh, the, on, the, on an individual basis, individual contributor basis, like the, the top engineers that you're going to find in startups here, uh, they're, they're comparable to the best engineers that I knew from Silicon Valley. Um, this is just comparing an engineer to an engineer. Uh, the, the Google offices here is one of the most number of engineers in all the international offices for Google. Um, I think uh, where it starts getting problematic, um, the, the hurdles are actually, I think, as you start moving up that ladder, you start getting to the, the, the founders, the C-level executives, like the guys that are making the, the big product decisions, the actual big corporate decisions, um, like, unless you have that experience, unless you actually, you know, have that hands-on experience, having gone through that a few times, it's hard to, to try to learn that here without actually being immersed in it. Mm -hmm. I have one question because, you know, I'm from my background being, um, half breed, growing up in Canada. What are your suggestions to families that want to make the trip back with their children? Do you see that you, you know, the culture and like the, the living lifestyle uh, for your children is, is be not, let's not say better here, but do you want them to still have access to a, a U.S. upbringing or is that your plan going back and forth? Or do you feel like what are the pros and cons for like families and for children being raised here? I think you can both answer to that. Well, so that's, a that's a difficult uh, that is. question. I mean, I don't think there's a right answer to that, uh, which is like, you know, what do you act, what's part of that education in the, in the U S or in the West that you don't get from the typical education that you would get here, the typical upbringing that you get, you get here. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a hard one is what that I'm still trying to find the answers to. There was such a, you know, 10, 20 years ago, when I was growing up, everyone was like, oh, you have to go overseas for high school. You have to go overseas for, for college. But now, in, when we're in this generation, they're like, well, well, I want my children to experience it. I want them to move back. So there's a lot of, you know, so how, what's the, what do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts? Well, I think um, really depends on your question. Because when you talk about moving back, to, are you talking about going to local schools in Taiwan or going to, like, you know, international schools such as TAS or TES? Mm -hmm. that, that makes a really big difference. Like for my kids, you know, they go to TAS and then during summertime, we would take them, to, you know, back to the U.S. maybe for a month or two. Yeah. So they, they, they actually, they get to see the world. They get to see U.S. They get to, sp you know, spend a month or two there. And it's actually, they, um, they, they, they grow this um, second home, you know, thought of in, in the feeling of when, when they go back to the U.S. So, when it, you know, it's totally different when you move to Taiwan and go, go to the local school. Because I wouldn't be able to answer that part. But I think in general, we're just, you know, all of us, each, each of us individually is moving to more of a global mindset. So it's not only just going to be, you know, either Taiwan or either, you know, California, but it's going to be Taiwan and Southeast Asia and, mm -hmm. and other Europe. So I think there's, you know, we're all moving towards that. Yeah. Steve, <laughs> Um, 
I think uh, well, the, the obvious things I miss from uh, probably from California um, mm-hmm. uh, that you would have every day, like the avocados and skin food. And, uh, uh, but um, I'm going to say like the food in Taiwan is awfully good and awfully convenient, awfully easy, awfully cheap to get. Uh, yes. Like, um, and, uh, but I mean, it's in certain categories, although I've heard like a, Again, I've only been here for a year and a half. I've heard a lot's evolved into more international foods recently. But, um, you know, uh, like Korean food is, I think the Korean food here in probably not as good as L.A., but it's better than anything you can find in the Bay Area. Actually, we have like Korean fried chicken today. (laughs) (laughs) While I was researching your previous interviews, this might be, you might not want me to bring this up, but I saw a video of you eating burritos. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was like an early day. Like, yeah. It was, uh, it was with, it was, we were reenacting it. So, what happened at Denny's? It was, um, yeah, uh, Chad so, and I were doing yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe next time I'll bring you burritos. Oh, it's hard to get the, uh, it's hard to get the pinto beans. Uh, it's hard to get the true. actual meats here. I do do like, a, I have a lot of social clubs that I've started. Here's my club. I do like golf social on Sunday. I do like taco Tuesdays. So, you know, maybe next time we'll do a Taco Taco Tuesday. Um, what are your thoughts on, um, like, TTA? How do you, we're both kind of um, based there and um, working, what are your, how do you like it? Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, TTA is also something that is transforming along with the, kind of the, the, the users that they're trying to service in some way, right? I mean, I think um, TTA is supposed to be trying to help out either these incubators, these um, small funds, these, uh, and until recently, individual entrepreneurs. This was something that's just changed this year. And that's that change was a result of all the people coming back with a gold card. Uh, and I think that now the entire fourth floor that you see at TTA, it's all people that are from Silicon Valley, that are all people that are, that have moved here in the last six months. But that was, you didn't have that at all. Like we couldn't get a desk at, uh, we were the exception that you couldn't get a desk at TTA uh, as a, it's just a independent uh, sort of self-started startup. Uh, you had to go through a, another incubator or another VC to do it. So I think um, we're running out of time here, but I really want to really thank our guests for being here. And there's so many firsts here. So on a closing note, let's just like, you know, what would you like to share? How can we help you? What can we do next? Can we, you know, um, make your custom burrito? Can we help you do, you know, plan a golf tournament? What are your thoughts? What are you, what are you excited about? What can we do that's really fun? We like having fun I, here. They, they, oh, we, we, should, we should go golfing with Steve and watch his golf stream. Okay, but the next one, we can bring something for you guys, okay? Since you guys are into golf, Polish车是什么样子吗？没有，我们是刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚刚
Cool. So I'm really happy that you guys have this this friendship and this partnership. I'm really happy you guys have crescent this experience for us. And yeah, hope to see you on the golf course. Or no, no, I'm actually looking forward I to. Hope it seems I'm like Wall Street. I'm going to take that back. I'm hoping that next time you will, you know, you'll have an update for us on your on your startup that you're doing or your investment that you're doing or that you know your, you know your hedge fund. Next time like... we should go to the golf course with them and see how they swing, right? No, no, no. We got to talk about. <laughs> no, on our next when we next meet, I hope oh like I hope you all look success and that you have a success story for us with regarding both of you. I hope we can help with that. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thank you so much.